Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, it is September, isn't it? And uh, September for me always feels like a fresh start. I know many people think about January 1st as kind of the new year and sure you get a clean calendar, but what I've discovered, at least in my life, is that many of the commitments that I've made and many of the things that land on our calendar are kind of established in September. At the end of a a summer lull, at the end of our vacation time and our slowdown, we sort of gear back up for the upcoming year. And of course, that's true if you have little kids, but I think many people find September is a, a fresh start and a fresh opportunity for us to to make changes. And so what I wanted to do is over the next three weeks, I wanted to have a conversation uh, about the subject of habit, okay? Uh, Habits have the power to change our lives. Habits are things that we do on a constant basis, and we're going to learn lots about them. Um, Sean Covey said this about habits. He said, our habits will make us or break us. We become what we repeatedly do. That's going to make more sense as we continue through the message series. This particular uh, message series that we're going to be going through is, is a Life Church series created by Life Church. And a lot of the content, some of the quotes, and some of the, the um, material behind this particular series is from three books that are fairly recent. And I'll just throw a little image of them up for you. The first is a book that I read a number of years ago, found it very helpful, called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And in it, he sort of explains the science behind habit formation and habit transformation. And again, this is not a Christian book, it's just a very helpful book that will help you to change and form good habits in your life. Another book is The Compound Effect, in in which the author talks about how doing consistently over time the right things eventually has a compounding effect that changes everything. It's a fantastic book. The last is called Atomic Habits. And again, none of these books are Christian books per se. They're all books that are extremely, extremely helpful, specifically if you want to dig more into the subject of habit following the series. I encourage you to, to take a look at some of those books. Now, some of you in this room may be super excited, maybe because you have a bad habit in your life and you know it and you're thinking to yourself, this is great. Over the next three weeks, I'm going to learn how to change it. Others of you may be thinking, yeah, I don't really have any bad habits, but I have some good habits that I want to start. And every time I try, I fall flat. And so maybe I'm going to learn something these next three weeks that's going to help me establish good habits in my life. Others of you listening today may be just a slight bit more skeptical. You may be thinking to yourself, about a week ago I was driving down the road uh, with my wife Jessica, who's in the front row, and we were just chatting, and I was telling her how excited I am about the content in this series, because as I've been studying it and preparing to teach you, it's been helping me in many, many ways. And so I was excited. I'm thinking, this is going to help people. As we enter into the fall, this material is really going to help people. And, and my wife asked me a question. It was a great question. She said, what does a series on habits have to do with faith? What does a series on habits have to do with church and Jesus? And, and I thought to myself for a second, I was like, wait a minute, what does it? And then it, it dawned on me. It has everything to do with everything. Sure, if we were to open up the Bible and we were to walk through from beginning to end, you're not going to find instructions on how to formulate habits and scientific details. You're not going to find that in here. But you know what you're going to find on just about every page of this book? It talks about behavior. And what the Bible teaches is that God very much cares about the way we behave. He cares about the way we treat our bodies and the way we treat other people's bodies. He cares about how we spend our time, how we spend our money, 
what our motives are. He cares about how we treat the people that we work with and the people we go to school with. God cares very deeply about our behavior. So we're, we're going to talk about that. So you're thinking, okay, great. I know God cares about behavior. He gave us a bunch of laws and rules to follow. So, so again, what does this have to do with habits? I'm glad you asked. What I want to do is give you a definition. And the definition for the word habit as given to us by Merriam-Webster is this. A habit is an acquired mode of behavior. Take a, note, take a note of that. It's not an instinct. It's an acquired mode of behavior. A habit is something that you learned somewhere along the way. Many of us won't remember learning some of the habits that are currently part of our life. It's an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary. In other words, these are behaviors that you often don't even know you're doing. And God has so created each of us that our brains and bodies are wired in this way. If you do something over and over and over again, eventually your brain goes, hey, this is a routine we're constantly doing. Let's just put it into automatic program. We'll dump it into the mind in a place where you don't even think about it, and it just happens. And so just a, a crude example, my wife was a little concerned that I brought my Rubik's Cube to church. Uh, but back, in, uh, back at Easter time, I fell and hit my head and suffered a concussion. And so I spent a week sitting in a dark room with nothing to do. And on one occasion, my, my son Nathaniel came into the room. And someone had given him a Rubik's Cube as a gift, and it had a little instruction booklet. And he had spent days trying to sort it out. And he came in, and he's like, Dad, I can't solve this thing. And I said, well, leave it with me. Go to school. I've got nothing to do but sit in this dark room with your cube. And I sat there for the rest of the day, and I finally solved it. It took me hours, and then I solved it again, and it took me 10 minutes, and then I solved it again, and it took me 9 minutes, and I solved it again, and it took me 8 minutes, and then I showed him how, and that was all great. But you know what happened is, you know, when I first began, I'm, I'm, looking, at the, I'm looking at the instruction booklet, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, um, it says turn the right side this way, and then, and then turn the top, and then, and then turn the side, and I'm just literally just kind of looking at the thing and following it, and if you mess up, you start all over again. Anybody ever done one of these? But what happened was, I kind of got hooked on it, and the six months that follow, I began to learn, oh, there's faster ways, and there's shorter algorithms, and all the other stuff, and so I got a speed cube, and I started working on this, my wife's just shaking her head, she's like, now they all know you're a nerd, okay, and so I got my cube, but what happened, what I began to notice is, some of the patterns that I was learning, because I was doing them so many times, I didn't have to think about them anymore, I would literally just see a shape on the cube, and just start rolling my fingers, and the thing would solve, right? And so literally, you could just sit and watch TV and solve a cube like this. It's all just reactionary behavior that just happens, right? And so you go, wow, that's cool. But did you know that that's exactly what happens in your life and in my life? We are running automatic behaviors. The studies have shown that 40 to 45% of your choices and behaviors each day, they're actually habitual. You get up in the morning and your routine and you brush your teeth and you don't even think about what you're doing. And you get in the car and you throw your seatbelt on. How many of you remember throwing your seatbelt on? I don't. I only notice if the car dings at me. I'm like, why is it dinging at me for? And so we just do it. And then we, we drive halfway to work. And we're like, how did I get here? Our habits are taking us to work. We sit down at our desk and we start doing our routines and habits. And we don't even realize what we're doing. But this is also true about the way we spend our money. It's habitual. The way we treat other people. Someone says something, and you respond. It's actually a habit. It's a learned behavior. Maybe you learned it from mom or dad. But it's like a program. It just starts and it begins to run. It's true of how we spend our money. It's true about what food we put in our mouth. Habits drive so much of the underlying behavior. And I know you're probably thinking to yourself, well, I've, I've got a few bad habits, you know. I chew my nails when I'm nervous. 
Uh, years ago, when our, when our kids were really little, one of our kids loved to chew their nails every time they get nervous. And they're just like, like chewing them right off, right? And so we didn't have time to get, you know, medicine. So I went online and found like a home remedy, which was to soak their fingers in minced garlic, right? So I took the child, and I'm just soaking the fingers in minced garlic. And it's supposed to be bitter, and so then they won't put it in their mouth. And so then we went to church, and for the whole service, our kid was just like, licking the fingers. The whole row smelled like garlic. Everyone's like, what is going on in here? Um, So we're trying to change these bad habits, and you go, oh, I've got a few bad habits. But in reality, so much of your life, you wouldn't believe how many of the behaviors and the choices you make every day are actually driven by pre-programmed routines you're not even thinking about. So that's why it's important to talk about. Because God says, hey, I want you to behave in this way. And we're like, I don't know why I keep behaving in this way. And part of it is because we've formed habits over time that need to be changed. And we all know, we know that our choices and behaviors affect our destiny. Like, you know, if you're doing the wrong things, it's going to end badly. And if you do the right things, it's supposed to work out good. But sometimes we don't realize that much of what we're doing, we're blind to it. And we were rolling down the road of life and we're thinking, I'm behind the wheel. I'm in charge of my life. But in reality, we're asleep at the wheel. And pre-programmed routines and pre-programmed habits... There was a news article in the paper recently about a guy driving a Tesla who was just like snoring away on the highway, driving down the road. We're sleeping at the wheel of our life, thinking we're in control, but really our habits are driving everything. Does that make sense? So that's why we're talking about it. Today what I want to do is I want to turn to a letter that was written by Paul to the Roman church. And I got a cool image here of of Paul, and I mean this is an artist's impression of Paul writing to the churches, and I like to think of Paul the apostle of this old wise sage in prison, writing letters to all the churches to encourage them. And one of the things you'll discover about Paul's letters is the first half of his letters, he always talks about what God has done for us. And in the second part of his letters, he always talks about how we should respond and behave in light of what God has done for us. And this is important because if you don't understand that, you'll open up the Bible and you'll begin to read the rules and the instructions. And you'll think that this is intended to be a behavior modification document. That the idea is to take these rules and you just grit it out and do all the rules and then God will love you and accept you. And that's not the narrative. That's not the story of this book. In fact, what we discover is God gives the law and the commandments of how to behave. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Do this, do this, do this. And he gives it to his people, the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. And do you know what happens? If you continue to read through the Old Testament, you you find the law and then the prophets. And what you're going to discover is the people of God could not behave according to God's commandments. They failed, they failed, they failed, they failed. And you might think to yourself, well, those were just the ancient Jews. We can succeed. We have modern technology. Paul, in his letter in chapter 3, says, no, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us in here that can behave in such a way that we could meet the requirements of God. So Paul says, look, Since we could not do what God expected of us, God, in his mercy, sends his son into the world to live the life you and I could not live, to die for our sins in our place upon a cross, so that when God looks at you and me, if we're in Jesus, he looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus, and we become sons and daughters of God. We sung about it this morning, and we can now walk with God, but but here's the thing, you might think to yourself, great. God did it all for me. It doesn't matter how I behave. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says, no, not a chance. In fact, because we couldn't behave, he did it for us. And then he transforms our heart, and he empowers us with his spirit so that 
we would begin to live and behave in the appropriate way. So he takes it full circle. It's because of what God has done. So chapters 1 to 11, here's what God has done for you. He saved us. He's redeemed us. He has empowered us. And then in verses 12 to 16, he says, now here's how Christians or followers of Jesus ought to behave. And you can go ahead and you can read it all this week if you'd like. Paul does not teach a golden ticket theology. Some of you know what that is? When I was a kid, they would say, hey, look, just go up to your friend at school and say, do you know Jesus? And if they say no, say, well, then say this prayer. And then they would repeat the prayer and they're like, now you're going to heaven, all good. And it didn't matter what happened after, just like, just say the thing and then the thing is done. And then and they're like, what just happened? What did I just say? I don't even know. And it was like this golden ticket. You got your golden ticket? Do you guys have your golden ticket? That was the, the thinking that I was taught at times. But when I read the scriptures, what I discover is that God invites us to follow his son. That Jesus invited his disciples to follow him. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So look, here's the idea. That each of us chooses to follow Jesus. And day by day, week by week, month by month, we become like him. In our motives, our behaviors, our thoughts, and actions. And by the way, this is a process. It's not automatic. Like When someone becomes a Christian or chooses to follow Christ and receives that... They don't instantly, you know, if they were in debt and then they become a Christian, guess what happens to their credit card debt? It's still there. Thank you. It's still there, right? You got to, you got to, now you're going to have to deal with that, right? And, and if you're a Christian and you have debt, then you're, you wanna, you're going to have to deal with that, right? If you, if you struggle with addiction and then you become a Christian, guess what? You're going, to have to, you're going to have to work through that. You're going to work towards freedom and changing that behavior. You know, if you were... If your mom was critical and you find yourself being critical, when you become a Christian, you now have to begin to, to work out that attitude in your life. If you're angry like your dad, it doesn't disappear. Those are habits. Those are pre-programmed routines that are part of us, and we have to be transformed. And that's exactly what Paul is going to say in our text. And so we're looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And what I want you to see is this. First 11 chapters, here's what God has done. The next four or five chapters, here's how we live in response. And these two verses are the hinge. They're the hinge between. Here's what God has done. Here's how you're to live. And here's the hinge that we need to look at. Here's what he says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Now, the Old Testament Jews would take animals, their best animals, and they would offer them up to God so their sins would be covered. We learned about this last Sunday. But what Paul is saying that we're to do if we're going to be Christians is we're to literally offer ourselves to God. Not like climb on an altar, stab ourselves, like not a physical sacrifice, a living sacrifice where we say, God, my time is yours. My money is yours. My relationships are yours. The, the, way, the way I treat other people, it's yours. And we literally offer ourselves, our lives, every part of our lives to him. That's what we're called to do. And honestly, if you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, I pray you'd do it today. There's no special technique. It is literally you saying, God, I give you control. I surrender my life to you. If some of you are here and you're like, oh, I've been a Christian for 30 years, I did that. It's not something you did something you do daily. Before your feet hit the floor in the morning, you're going, God, 
My day is yours. My heart is yours. My time is yours. I lay myself upon the altar. I give you myself. That is what we're called to do. So he continues in verse 2. He says, do not be conformed or shaped or patterned after this world. In other words, our world has a way of thinking, a way of doing things. He says, don't Don't allow that to shape you, but rather, he says, be transformed or changed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, there's some thinking that needs to change. There's some patterns of behavior that need to change. And since God has done this for you and you're trying to walk towards Christ, allow the transformation to happen. Offer yourself to God and allow him to begin to change you. Okay? And here's how he says we're to do it. He says that by testing, you may discern what the will, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now let me ask you a question. Does testing and discerning sound easy? Who likes testing? <laughs> he says, listen, there's some work for you and me to do. We have to, we have to look at our lives, and instead of comparing ourselves to the person we work with or our spouse or our friends at school, instead of comparing ourselves to other people, we compare ourselves to Christ, the example. And we go, oh boy. There's a lot of work to do. Here's what I want you to do. Find someone near you. If there's someone near you, and just tell them you've got a lot of work to do. Go ahead. Just tell them with confidence, because we all know it's true, okay? And then, and, then you can, and then you can just respond. You can respond back and say, yeah, you too, buddy. Yeah. Because here's what I know for sure. I know for sure that not one of us in this room has arrived. I'm a pastor. I have not arrived. I am not the model Christian. You are not the model Christian. None of us has arrived. You haven't arrived as a mom, as a dad, as a grandma, as a friend in your work. Like, there is so much work to be done. There's so much progress to be made. And here's what I wanted to tell you today. The problem usually isn't our goals. It's not our goals. If I were to ask you, what are your goals for your relationships? Most of you would say, I want to have healthy relationships that are full of trust and open communication and love and compassion. And if you're a hugger, lots of hugs. And you're just like, that's what I envision for my relationships. Nobody says, yeah, I hope to come home and everything feels like a war zone. I want to feel like I'm sleeping with the enemy at night. I want to feel like my kids are driving me so crazy, I'm going to trade them in for a new model. Like nobody thinks that's my goal for my relationships. And yet many of us experience broken relationships on a regular basis. Wouldn't you agree? So the problem isn't the goal. Some of you, uh, maybe in the financial area, you think to yourself, I want to be debt-free. I want to have an emergency fund. I want to be extremely generous. I want to be able to take what I have and help other people. And go, yeah, that's me. And then your credit card bill comes in, and and you're paying interest on the interest, and you're buried, and your hydro's going to get shut off, and you're going, but I want to be there, but I'm over here. Why am I over here and not over there? The problem isn't your goals. Maybe it's physically. Everyone wants to have low blood pressure, low cholesterol, uh, low body fat, six-pack abs. They want to have vitality and health. Like, we all want that, but sometimes that's not our experience. And the question is, why is it that we have these great goals for the different areas of our life? When it comes to our faith, it's like, you know what? I want to be a man of God. I want to be a woman of God. I want to start every day in the Bible, and I want to start every day on my knees. And then you wake up late after you hit snooze three times, and you rush out the door, and you don't open your Bible for a month, and you're like, what happened? Okay? The problem isn't your goals, and the problem isn't my goals. So what I want to do is I want to share with you two reasons why our reality often doesn't match our goals. Two today. And then we'll pick up the rest um, next week. 
Here's the first one. We focus on the goal, but we ignore the system. We focus on the goal, but we ignore the system. Goals don't determine success. Systems determine success. Do you know what God did before he created the first man and the first woman? Anybody know? It's not a trick question. Yes. He created the earth. He created the solar system. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the seasons. And then he separated the day and the night. So he had light during the day and the moonlight at night. And then he separated the land from the water and created the water system. So the water evaporates and feeds everything. And then he created earth... uh, leaf-bearing shrubs and greenery and all the plants, and then he created all the animals, and then he finally creates Adam and Eve on the sixth day. But he had already created all the systems that would allow you and me to survive and thrive in this beautiful world. He created systems. And then, even if you look at your own bodies, okay? Now, I'm not a biology guy, but I took biology in high school. Your body is full of incredible systems. And each of those intricate systems are operating and allowing you to sit in that chair and not fall over right now. You know this, right? Your body has a circulatory system that's pumping blood through your body, that's giving nutrients and energy and taking junk away and doing all kinds of amazing things. And if that stops, everything stops. There's a system giving you life. You have a nervous system that allows you to see me and hear what I'm saying. You also have an immune system. There are little white blood cells attacking viruses in your body to keep you from dying, even as we're sitting here. And here's the most amazing thing. All these systems are keeping you and me alive, and we don't even know that they're going on. I mean, we know they're going on, but they're just happening. They're systems that God has put in place. And here's here's what you need to understand. It's not our goals. The problem is often our systems. We don't have the right systems in place in our life to reach the goals that we want to have. James Clear says this. You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Okay? Next week, we're going to talk about Daniel. And so everyone knows about Daniel in the lion's den. But before Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, Daniel refused to eat food that he wasn't supposed to eat. He refused to dishonor God. He just kept doing the right things. He prayed three times a day, even when it threatened his life. He had systems in his life that made him a man of God. And it was those systems that held him through by God's faithfulness. So we're going to talk about that. So we often think we're trying to change the results, but what we really need to do is change the systems that cause those results. Let me give you a few really basic examples that maybe will connect. You might have a goal to lose 20 pounds. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who's tried to do that before. But maybe you have this goal, you're just like, I, I just, I, you know, I'm getting a little overweight, and I really just want to trim down for this. I want to be healthy, so I'm going to lose 20 pounds. And you set that goal. You're probably not going to reach your goal unless you put into place a system. What's a system? A system is a set of behaviors that helps you get to the goal. For example, you might, a system might be, I'm going to wear a Fitbit, and I'm going to make sure that every single day I get 10,000 steps. No, I'm going to bed, it's 10 o'clock, and I lay down, and I only got 8,500. Guess what I'm doing? I'm getting up, and I'm walking around until I get to the goal. That's a system, okay? And, hey, there have been days I haven't got 10,000. I just put my Fitbit on one of my kids, and they just run around the yard for a while. And I know it's cheating, but then it looks really good in the software, you know? So anyway, you get your Fitbit. <laughs> Don't do that. It's a bad. That's... So you want a system. A system might be, hey, here's, I'm going to do this every day, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat these foods and not those foods. Maybe something. But it's a, it's a clear, defined system that helps you get where you're going to get. Maybe you would say, hey, look, 
this year I want to save $1,000 this year. I'm going to save $1,000. And here's the thing. You can tell all your friends you're saving $1,000. Hey, friends, I'm saving $1,000. And they look at you like, great, that's weird. Why are you telling me? But you're like, oh, I'm just t- I want accountability. I'm saving $1,000. You can put a big sign at the end of your bed that says, you're a saver, $1,000. And you can drive in your car and you flip down your visor and it's like, you can do it. And you can do all this stuff, but here's the thing. If you don't put a system in place to save, if you don't put a system in place to be generous, it's not going to happen. A system is this. Every single week, automatically, $19.27 is going to come out of my bank account before my bills are paid, and it's going to go into a savings account. And it might take you 30 minutes to set up that system, and guess what will happen at the end of 12 months? You will have $1,000 saved, even if you forget that it's even happening. System will get you to your goals. This is true about our faith. Many people have aspirations. I want to I walk with Jesus this year. What system are you putting in place? Well, I downloaded a reading plan. That's great. When are you going to do the reading plan? I'm going to do it in the morning. Okay, what about when you get up late? What about when you're not feeling well? What about? It's like, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just let it happen as it happens. How about this for a system? I'm going to read these passages before I eat food. That'd be a good system, wouldn't it? You'd be at work sitting on the toilet, hiding in the bathroom, reading your scriptures because you're starving. A system. <laughs> a system will help you to achieve the goal. See, it's not a goal problem, guys. It's a system problem. So we focus on the goal and we ignore the system that will ultimately get us to the goal. Is this making sense? And you can apply this to your parenting. You can apply this to your relationships. Like, hey, we want to have a loving marriage. You never go on a date night. Hey, you want to have a loving marriage? You never carve out time to sit and talk. Like, you need a system, okay? Here's the second reason why we often fail to achieve the goals that we set out in front of us. We don't see progress fast enough, right? You, you know this. You've all experienced it. You, you decide it's January 1, and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose this weight, and you exercise for seven days straight, and all you eat is like bananas and beans, and, and you're just eating all this healthy stuff and no junk food, and at the end of the week, you're just like, yes. I'm tired, I feel gross, I'm exhausted, I'm sore everywhere, and you step on the scale, and you gain two pounds. <laughs> and you're like, no, it doesn't work, right? Why? Because we're looking for fast results, and when the fast results don't come, then we often give up. This is true. If you've ever said, hey, this year, I'm going to just like, I'm going to pursue Jesus, and I'm just going to dive into this thing, and you start reading your Bible, and you're fasting, and you're praying, and you're doing all this stuff to grow in your faith, and what happens? Your car breaks down, and your kids are being brats, and your whole world starts falling apart, and you're thinking, what's going on? I'm doing all the right stuff, but I'm not seeing the results, and so we give up because we don't see progress fast enough. We wrongly conclude that small good decisions don't matter that much. We go, apparently I do, you know, I do the right thing and it doesn't matter. I do the right thing and I don't see results. I prayed every week, every day this week and nothing changed. I used my money wisely and, I, and all I saved was $32. That'll never change the direction of my finances. And so we think to ourselves, this isn't, you know, I obeyed my parents all week long and they didn't even notice. We wrongly conclude small good decisions don't matter that much. And we also wrongly conclude that small bad decisions don't matter that much. Hey, I skipped out on my commitments. Nobody got mad. I ignored my spouse for an entire week and she didn't leave me. I guess it didn't matter. 
I skipped my devotions and lightning didn't fall down from heaven. I ate a donut and my pants still fit. Right? And, and we think to ourselves, apparently a small bad decision doesn't actually have a significant impact. But here is the compound effect. What you do daily, and it can be a small thing, daily over time, day by day by day, year by year, decade by decade, has incredible power to change your life. And all of us have probably read a financial book. You put $20 a month or $20 a week in a savings account with interest, and you do it for 40 years, and you're a billionaire. Because the money eventually, it looks like it's not growing, and then all of a sudden your, 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 your interest is actually earning interest, and the thing just starts to snowball, and it's this exponential curve, kind of like that display on the stage. It's like it grows, and it works both positively and negatively. And you could take two people, and one of them, for example, could eat a donut every single day, and the other one could, could have some carrot sticks and water. And after a week, they look identical. There's no difference. And you could go six months, and, you know, if they're not in a Speedo, you can't tell the difference. They just kind of look normal. And then you go forward a year, and you're kind of like, I can't, still can't see. Well, apparently it doesn't matter what you eat. But if you go forward five years or ten years, all of a sudden, there's a massive change. I've got a little chart here to show you the exponential curve. For, for the longest time, good and, ba- good and bad behaviors will run side by side, and there seems to be no effect. But the effect is slowly building like a snowball rolling. This is why we do the right thing, and we do it consistently, and eventually we see a result. This is exactly what Paul taught the Galatian church. Here's what he says in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul says, you do the right thing. You go to high school, and your friends are all doing stuff, and you know you shouldn't, and you choose not to do it, and you're thinking, it doesn't seem to matter. Nobody notices. God notices. It matters. You go to work, and everyone's cutting corners, and you decide you're going to do it the right way and honor God, and your boss doesn't notice, the clients don't notice, and you're thinking, it doesn't matter. It matters. We continue to do the right thing, knowing that we will reap if we do not faint. With, with questions of morality, the way we live and treat other people. It matters, and it's the small things done day by day, year by year, decade by decade that will transform your life and mine. And over time, we actually rewrite the automatic programming of our minds and hearts. You see, our life is the sum total of all the small decisions we make. We always think it's the big stuff, the, the flurry of activity for a week that's going to transform our lives, and it never is. It's the small disciplines the things we do over and over again that ultimately have the biggest effect in our lives. Our life is the sum total of all the small decisions we make. And you know, sometimes we look at people and we see their success and we think, what trick did you use to get there? And what we don't see is all the long nights. What we don't see is the discipline. What we don't see is that they started 10 years ago and started building day by day discipline and we want a shortcut. It's the small things that make the biggest difference in our lives. It's the things that no one sees that ultimately brings the results that everyone wants. So here's what I wanted to do as we kind of wrap things up. Uh, I wanted to to just take a moment because even as I'm, um, as I've been talking, I've been talking about food and finances and faith and all these things. But I just believe like as we start into this conversation on habits that it would be appropriate for us to just take a moment and say, what is it that God's saying to me? Because like, hey, we've all got lots of stuff to work on and you're not changing everything in the next three weeks. Pick one thing. 
But what about if we stopped and said, God, what is the one thing you're putting your finger on in my life that needs to change? What is the one thing that you, you want to transform? Because our goal is to, is to offer ourselves to God and to live a life that pleases him. But, but God, what is the one thing that you would have me change? What is the one thing that your spirit is putting your finger on in me right now? And so let's just take a moment. I just want you to think about that. To allow and invite God into the process of transformation because that is what he does. And I want to pray together. Father, may it be our heart's desire that we would be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus, that we would learn to love like him, give like him, and be like him. And Lord, there are all these pre-programmed behaviors, habits, routines that are part of our lives. Many of them are sabotaging where you want us to be and where we want to be. So Lord, this morning as we, as we sit together, would you put your finger on one area and Lord, as, as I, as we take steps towards making the, the necessary changes in the weeks ahead, God, would you empower us by your spirit? Would you give us the strength and the ability and the wisdom to see what's going on and the power to change it? Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has never committed their life to you, who's never surrendered their all to you, I pray they wouldn't, they wouldn't wait another day. They would place themselves willingly upon your altar and say, God, my life is yours. Every area, nothing untouched. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Before I close, I just want to give you um, a, little, a little homework assignment. If you're serious, if God's showing you something you need to change, here's what I want you to do. This is homework. If you don't do it, it won't help you. If you do it, it'll change everything. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to get a notebook. You can go to the dollar store. Maybe you got a notebook. And here's what I want you to do. In whatever area it is that God's talking to you, I want you to track everything, right? If it's, a, if it's a money issue, every penny you spend, every penny that comes out of your bank account, if you're buying something for 50 cents with the change in your car, you write it down, everything. What it was for, how much you spent, you write everything down. Because as I said, so many of our behaviors are automatic and we don't even know we're doing them. If it's food, everything you put in your mouth goes down. And here's, you'll actually start eating better. You'll start spending better just because you're tracking it. And three days in, you'll be like, wow, I'm wasting a lot. Wow, this isn't good. And just by seeing those automatic behaviors, you'll begin to change it. If it's a relationship issue, then you can literally go, how many critical comments am I making and how many encouraging words am I speaking to my, my family, my spouse, my friends? And you just begin tracking. You write down every interaction. And what it will do is it will make visible some of those automatic routines that are running in the background and sabotaging your life. If it's an area of faith, write down, maybe journal, and you sit down every day. It's like, here's what I did. Here's what God's showing me. And you begin to write it down and set a time and begin to do it. Document it. By writing it down, it'll change everything. Can you do that? Can you do that? I get three people nodding at me. So if you do that, I, I guarantee it will, it will change your life. So... Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.